I'm Bryce Miller. And I'm Jacob Schatz. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Atlas. Today, we have a very special guest for you. We have Titus Lunter, the renowned magic artist who's working on the game since con. Say hello there, Titus. Hello, hello. Uh, renowned, that's already <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite a compliment to live up to. <laughs> no pressure, though. As far as I know, you haven't made any renowned cards, but that would have been a nice segue. <laughs> that that would have been, for sure, yes. Cards with renown. Renowned lands. Basic renowned, please. <laughs> mm. New mechanical space here. When this land becomes tapped, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Ew. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd be for that. I'd be for that. Look, I'm trying to build my vintage artist constructed deck, and I'm severely lacking creatures, all right? So if I could just do that and then awaken them or, you know, that'd be great. Oh, we've started this off, and already we've made a deranged mechanic. This is working wonderfully. Excellent. So Titus has been working on magic art for a number of years. I think I think three if I can do math, which is always a challenge. It's difficult. Yeah, right. <laughs> even for me, even for me, really, because you know, when I started working, the uh, time between release and illustration was much bigger than it was. So it was somewhere around 2013, 20, early 2014. Okay, so yeah, in, in the department of, of three years. In that time, Titus has made a wide variety of magic art and gone to a wide variety of events. It seems like you very frequently appear at GPs, at Grand Prix, that is. In Europe, it's easier. It's kind of like my backyard, you know, it's close. U.S., not so much, but I try to. I try to stay in touch with the community as well. So I go to, like, uh, release events at my LGS and stuff like that just to make it extra fun. It's been quite, quite crazy. It's ramping up a lot as well, especially this year where I think I'm slated for eight or nine GPs. So Wow. Wow. Tiresome. I don't <laughs> like to travel. Oh, no. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. Well, I guess in some ways you kind of have to because the Grand Prix are a great place for artists to get sort of that, not just recognition, but also some sales of artist proofs and other signed cards and that sort of thing. Sure. I, I mean, the, the climate has somewhat shifted for most of us, sort of newer artists, right? The the beginning ones, the, the younglings. So the landscape with the new tournament organizers might change, but in the past we didn't or very infrequently get compensated for anything. So... It might just be hotel, but most of the time not flight. So actually our overhead was quite large to do events. So it was much more about the community and having a good time rather than any sort of profit or monetary gain that you get from it. Now on that topic, I myself have not been to a Grand Prix. I don't believe Jacob has been. And I imagine that only a handful of our listeners have. Could you describe what the average GP might look like for you? Everything you're doing to lead up to it and to be at the event? The, the planning for a Grand Prix actually starts really early in the year, you know, barring changes this season because Channel Fireball will take over all the Grand Prix of 2018. But in the past, all the Grand Prix were announced roughly in October or November. Then we would get a list of all the tournament organizers, their email addresses. We'd contact them or if you're lucky, they would contact you and you'd plan ahead, say, OK, you know, in March we're going to be here or, you know, we'll go to an event. And at that point, you start planning you start booking a hotel see if you can get a good deal on a flight printing prints making play mats any sort of merchandising and it, it takes a while for everything to, to get rolling especially in the beginning when you have no you know you have no stock you have nothing you gotta figure out business costs and i think that's sort of a weird thing for most of us artists to do because we have no idea where our profit margin is you know it's like oh our profit margin is huge because we don't understand how to do you know costs cost right? benefit expenses. analysis yeah right 
it's a pretty long road. I think every GP requires about a full two weeks of planning of logistics. And then the event itself is, is a lot of fun. It's very intense. We usually get there on Thursday because they run from Friday to Sunday evening. We get there before the show opens, which is Friday at around nine o'clock and Saturday and Sunday about 7.30 or eight in the morning. And we set up our booth. We make sure that everything looks cool, have our pen sorted, all of that stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of extra things that come around. You know, you think prints, but we have to take like 50 different colors pens because people would like, oh, I'd like a deep purple, not like light purple sign. Like, all right, <laughs> cool. I think I have that. And then, we, you know, we sit in that chair for about 12 hours, 13 hours. Then at 8, 9 in the evening, we pack up our stuff and uh, we do our homework, you know, alterations that people still want or any form of commission. We crash and then do that for about three days in a row and then we go home. <laughs> that sounds like a ridiculous ridiculously demanding time. I think the longest events that I've had to staff in some form have been maybe one day of 11 hours. I can't imagine doing that three days, two days straight. Coffee helps for sure. <laughs> um, and, and, and trying to, you know what, it's, it's always weird because you, you have to stay positive all the time because obviously people who come to your booth, they want to have a good time. And at the beginning, when somebody told me this, I thought, oh man, so it, what it's going to be really rough and I just have to really try my best to, to stay happy. But honestly, it's a lot easier than it sounds because most of the people that we have at our booth are so awesome and they want to have a good conversation. And especially if you play the game as well, it's just nice. So really it, the days sound long and it, definitely at the end you feel it. But while the event is going on, it's, it's really not that, that hard. It's just having a fun interaction with cool people for the, for the whole weekend. Now, following on the topic of GPs, I recall way back during Khan's Fate Reforged, and I think it happened again recently, both GPs somewhere in, in Spain, that you were listed as one of the featured artists and then got flack for being a newer artist. <laughs> yeah, it was especially fun, the first one in Seville. I don't know, I guess maybe Spanish people are even more direct than, than Dutchies. Uh... <laughs> You know, I, I think it, it's quite something if you stun a Dutch person with something that you say because we're used to so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was I don't I don't know what it was, but you know what? There was actually a very positive side effect to that because of, uh, yeah, when I went to Seville, people were unhappy because I didn't have very much cards at the time, which is true. Uh, I didn't have I never understood why people were upset because I wasn't the only one there. If I was the only one, then, you know, I guess. Yeah, sure. You, you'd want a bigger artist, but. It's me and a few others, you know, but because that that found its way to Reddit. And I think Noah Bradley was the one who put it on Reddit. There was actually a lot of positivity that came from it. People reacting like, oh, man, you don't, you know, don't listen to these guys and it's going to be fun. And it was fun. I've been to Spain three times now for events and all three times it has happened. And all three times I had a really, really good time. So I don't know. There's a huge disconnect there. So I guess. People see it as you're taking away a spot from a more established artists, and I don't think that's completely fair, but I also don't know exactly how these things are organized. It probably depends on which tournament organizer and even which tournament, but is there like a limited number of spots and then it's first come first serve or how, do, how does that usually shake out? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's always a limited amount of spots because you don't want to overcrowd the artists. If you have seven or eight artists there, the, the likelihood of them doing business well will go down which means that artists feel less inclined to go to the event. And yeah, it, it shuffled around. Usually the tournament organizers try to get one or two big names and then they have smaller slots to fill. 
people who don't mind going there without compensation, anything you know like that. We don't really know which other artists are going to be there beforehand. Sometimes they'll tell us, but for us it's like wait and see because we don't know every artist. There's a certain group of people obviously that know each other and they will know who's going where, but it's mostly for uh, for the U.S. So yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange process that changes every single GP and for every different tournament organizer as well. And I assume because the events are in the events that we're talking about. Uh, the Spain GPs, because they're in Europe, you probably get like a little bit of precedence as being an artist that lives in Europe. Like they wouldn't have a ton of American artists be shipped no, they over do. to Europe. I mean, they the do Europe fairly GPs. well, but Europe has a very diverse economic climate as well. So, for example, if you go to the Netherlands, uh, it's a fairly rich country. So they will have uh, U.S. Uh, artists there because, you know, they'll likely make a profit. They know the country is in a good economic state. But, you know, with the economic recession going on in Portugal, Spain, Greece, countries like that, they'll have a much lower threshold. And I mean, people know this as well. It, it sounds really almost rude to say that, you know, oh, you wouldn't go to that kind of country. But from a financial point of view, which is why some of these people definitely do it. I mean, if you're coming from the States and you have an overhead of almost $2,000 and there's no way you make your money back, you have to put a vacation there or, or something. And for us, it's much easier. Yeah, you have to be a little bit clinical about it and just say, hey, i just not gonna make a profit and this is my job after all yeah for sure and you want to help the community out you want to make sure that they have a good time but for most of these these artists they have a family life they have a very busy job during the week so the weekends become precious and you have to really manage your time so yeah trying to strike that balance of giving back to the community spending time with your family uh traveling as well it all takes a lot of time away from other things that you could be doing and it's a weird way of looking at it but after a while you have to do it that way because you can just easily overwork yourself otherwise on the topic of communities and, and social media as a kind of a would-be community manager i'm always fascinated to and i love to hear about how people come together in different ways especially as it relates to magic and it seems like you're often a part of a, of a larger artist community, whether that's on social media, whether that's interacting with those artists at GPs. What form does that take? Has that been a notable part of your experience being someone who helps make magic? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I got into magic because uh, somebody, one of my friends introduced me to the game and it kind of stuck because I liked the artwork. And there were a lot of names in there, which I, which I really respected. So it's fun because coming from a video game point of view, it's much more cutthroat. The concept art scene there, the, the illustrators behind there, they're way more competitive than magic artists are. So when I started talking to other magic artists to see what's your interaction with the community or, you know, would you like feedback? I found that almost everyone got together really fast because we're on the same page, which is weird because essentially there should be no difference in making a video game or making Magic the Gathering. You're trying to ship a product. You're trying to come up with something and you're shipping a product. But it was so weirdly competitive in the entertainment industry where people try to one-up each other or be better or find that new job that it was very difficult to interact with them outside of direct studio colleagues. And with Magic, it's, it's the complete opposite. I know a lot of Magic artists who are players, so it was really easy to connect with them as well. Most of us are sort of in the same age bracket, so that makes it a little easier. And now, yeah, we just have a big chat going on where all of us are sharing our work. It's super secret. Nobody can know about it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, we share all of our stuff there and we talk about it. We give each other feedback and say, you know, this is wrong. This is right. Love this. Change that. And the, the fun thing about that is what really surprised me is because so many people there play magic. They will catch mistakes that I would normally never have caught. You know, I'll do something and they go like, hey, you know what? This and that, what you're doing in your painting, we saw that before in the lore. 
or it doesn't really come across that well because it reminds people too much of X or Y. And it's those tiny things that we can then put in, those tiny Easter eggs or those tiny mistakes that we avoid that actually make the illustration a lot better. But people won't really notice that, you know. That's really fascinating. So are there instances where you go, well, this this looks okay, this is a good piece of art, but this doesn't look like it'd be on Innistrad or something like that. Like it doesn't fit for the world. Yeah, but... tons of times. Tons That's of cool. Time. I, I, I had it as well. My first draft for Treacherous Terrain, when I show that to people, it's from um, Commander 16. They were like, oh, you know what? This looks a lot like the Innistrad one. I was like, I actually don't want it to look like the Innistrad one. So I pushed it more towards Ravnica. And, you know, patterning, especially in a heavy patterning set like Kaladesh, where, you know, there was so much filigree, we, we do patterns and all that stuff. And they were like, you know what? This filigree looks too much like that. Or this filigree looks too much like it could be from this set. And, and you can see it as well. I mean, we're all following the spoilers and the conspiracy theories, which are great. You <laughs> see you know, a little design thing that we've done, like, oh, this looks exactly like Avacyn's spear. And we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that one's put by. <laughs> Yeah, that was all right. That was not working as intended, but uh, you know we can't we can't comment on any of that stuff. Obviously, <laughs> of course, but it is fun to see. For reference to the listeners, uh, there were arts spoiled for all five of the gods from Amonkhet, and one of them has a spear, the head of which kind of looks like if you squint at it sideways, like the Avacyn symbol. My favorite one now is uh, one of the people that I did for the cover of the Amonkhet art book that people picked out the tiniest detail on a shoulder pad and go like, is Asherok from Amonkhet? (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, guys. We did... I didn't even see any of this. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear, but that was like... That was real mind-boggling. No, that... For future reference, probably don't swear, but for current reference, totally, that was yeah. the exact right reaction, <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, and obviously, this is my Glomar response, where I can either confirm or deny that Ashok is from Amonkhet, but um, obviously, the the length the length to what where people go to is absolutely fascinating for us to see, and we try to take as much of that on board when we when we do the concepting for um, for the sets as well. Try to put in as much references in the right place and avoid references in all the wrong places because people like to put two and two together and, you know, make cow. And you're like, I don't, this is not what we were talking Especially about. Especially the magic community. <laughs> yes. We're, we're very good at pulling something out of completely nothing. Yep. But it's fun, though. It's what I used to do as well, so. <laughs> how many times have we looked for, this is a more mechanic thing than an art thing, but how many times have we expected or hoped for a Damnation reprint up until... Modern Masters 2017. Oh, wow, yeah, it was like a bad joke almost, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh, it was. A, it definitely <laughs> it was, was exactly a bad joke. Yeah, bad it's joke. just... But, but <laughs> it's fun because talking about future or previous sets, anything anything like that, when, when the community was hinting at a mechanic or a car that would reprint, and we would have that information a year before everyone else would have. And, and you know, especially for Amonkhet, because of the, the concept push for that, I did the push in early 2015, so I've, I've been wow. sitting on all that wow. Amonkhet knowledge for about two years now. And it's very difficult not to spoil anything or, you know, especially now that we're so close. I'm like, oh, we're days away. I just want to sh- show them. It's been <laughs> yeah. two years, man. Come on. Right, right. You have a character like Nicol Bolas that just has all of these perfectly reasonable, like conceivable conspiracy theories mm. around him. And you you know the one that is true. Yeah. And you have to sit on your hands for this entire yep. time. That was like one of the first things when I got into the office there and we sat down for the morning meeting and we're like, okay, we're going to talk about Amonkhet. We're, you know, this is the plane. 
the name Nicol Bolas comes up, and we're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, You're oh, like, no, no? No, oh, this is going to be terrible, because people are going to, oh, this is, we have to tread extremely carefully in any and all of this, especially because we knew that Kaladesh came before it, and we were like, okay, this is going to be another semi-real-world inspired set. Obviously, Kaladesh has uh, roots in sort of contemporary culture, whereas this egyptian themed one is a little bit more historical but you know right. still we were very very aware of how people are going to react to this and especially how are they going to react to nickel Bolas because you know there's giant horns everywhere yeah <laughs> right right you can't really miss it no thank goodness arch enemy nickel Bolas was spoiled before we got to avanket proper so it's like at least we know that yeah, he's least... here like we can we can say we can that talk about it now oh that's so much easier I love that uh, yeah. cardboard crack comic about it as well, where you see just the horns everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <Yep. laughs> He's like, opens up the microwave. <laughs> that was beautiful. I love that. I love it. But it was a fun It was a fun design process. We had to take into account a lot of things. And usually when I talk about it, it's very difficult because it, I always feel that it, that I make it sound like I did all of the work, which is absolutely not the case. It's It's difficult to credit all the people that were there. But it was really fun just to be a very small, small part of that um, and trying to make sure that I do my bit. And the amount of knowledge that floats around in there is just mind boggling. I know that sometimes it's very difficult to sell the information that we have properly to the to the viewer because we only have limited card space to work on. And let's not forget that the way the magic pillars work is that first off, it's a monster versus monster fighting game, right? That That's it. It's a monster fighting game. And secondly, there's a story that supports that. That's the second pillar. And then third of all, there's a world in which that takes place. But we have, what is it, two and a half inches of square card space to convey right, right. all of that. You know, and sometimes we miss it. And it's difficult to hear when people say, oh, you know, they missed this and make all these assumptions. You go like, of course, sometimes something is missed or not properly conveyed or might veer into the wrong direction. But other times it's just so difficult to convey vast amounts of complex information to people in, in such a short time span and, and and you know tiny frame that yeah it, it is sometimes difficult for us where we sit there and go like oh guys you're not looking at this the right way but obviously that's not <laughs> that's not their fault for not looking at the right way it's our fault for not conveying it properly but then when you have pretty much the smartest minds in game design and illustration not being able to solve that problem at some point you just have to make that concession and say okay like this was maybe too difficult well, you mentioned the art book for Amonkhet, and for, at least for my part as someone who's a, a lore junkie, I got one of the other art books, and it has just been absolute miracle to see all of this stuff and have a lot more context, a lot more background on everything that's being mm. put out. You know, it's it's not the full god book, obviously, but it is it does give a lot more weight to these references, these places, these people that are involved in the illustrations, too. Yeah, it's something that the, especially the lore team and the story team work extremely hard to, to, to crank out. And it's fun for us on the illustration side to be able to help out a little bit with their ideas and sometimes even inspire them because it's not, it's not like a linear path, right? It's, it's very fluid in the way that they design and redesign stuff to make sure that it all fits. Given that there is so much detail put together by the creative team in the sort of the, the world guide, the God book for each set how much of that on average are you able to use in your art you know if, if we're talking about Innistrad and here's here is the stack of lore that has been designed by the creative team are you able to apply some of that in addition to what your prompt is for that particular piece is that only on you do they impose some other things first off the god book that's what you call the style guide just to make sure right right okay okay yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's too bad that we can't show them. I have a few gems lying around here. But It really um... is too bad that you can't show them. <laughs> it's so bad, Titus. You gotta understand. We all want it it's more like than you do. It's like 300 pages of goodness. In <sighs> wow, that's a... Uh... I knew they were large. I didn't know they were necessarily that large. Yeah, they're big. There are hundreds of illustrations in there, hundreds of concepts. The lore on that side is a little is a little less. We try to do most of it through visual storytelling with the key story in place because that's the part that we are most concerned about. And again, the thing that has to read for us on the card is the visual storytelling. So this is sometimes how it happens when other clients give us briefs where they go, oh, this is my main character and he's a very gentle soul. And they're like, yeah, cool. What is he wearing? Yeah. I, can't, I can't just draw a gentle soul. I, I mean, that's nice and all, but... Um, oh, come on. You've done Geists. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, imagine that the, the God book works in similar fashion where most of it is visual storytelling and then some of it is lore. Obviously, we get a great idea of, of what it is that we're working on or what the story is. We, we do get the main story beats. And the nice thing is the brief will sometimes contain some of that story, but we can always ask for it. We can always go like, hey, how do I, how do I make this better? Or is there something that... I can do to enhance this piece but yeah like you were suggesting it's all on our own initiative because not everyone not every magic artist plays the game or is interested in the lore there's some out there who do this just because they're professional illustrators you know right of course and they they might not necessarily i wouldn't say know what to do because they they obviously would know what to do with the information but they wouldn't require the information to make a really good piece that still fits in the universe and on top of that before i forget there's there's something like over designing as well um, and I've fallen into that trap sometimes or got close to it where you make an image that looks really good, big and works as a silhouette, but you lose all the cool gimmicky things that happen uh, design wise right. on the card, like tiny, intricate details that just get completely lost, which is a shame. Like burgeoning has a guy in a window and he's scratching his head, but you can barely see it. It's almost impossible. to ah, see. It. And again, you fair. know, I figure that oh, maybe on the card you can see it, but it didn't really come out that way, which is like, okay, so that's over-designed. And that's the danger with some of these story elements that you can get where it doesn't read on the card size. And you never know if your card ever or the illustration is going to be viewed big. I mean, you can release it, but still. Right. You have to build it for the two and a half tiny square inch. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Illustration. Yep. It's simply limited yep. the medium. You have to sell the whole thing. And really, communicating anything like a story or a concept through visual art is a challenge already. I can only imagine that having to do it that small and readable at a distance. Magic art, it's so important for so many reasons, even for those who don't follow the story, which I, th I think is maybe a mistake. We use it to identify cards so much. And I don't think we always appreciate how hard it is to put all that in there. Yeah. It can be it can be a challenge, especially with some of the cards that I did for for Amonkhet as well. Uh, but I, you know, about cards that are out, Frontier Bivouac was a was a good one where I had to do a tri land and a dragon skull. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna do a mountain, a forest, and <laughs> yeah. uh, like an island with a dragon skull. Like this is yeah, this is impossible. I have so little space to work with. But it's a fun part of the design challenge for sure. And it turned out fine because I love that art, by the way. It's, <laughs> it, it's very good. <laughs> Thanks. But what is important for me uh, is that I talk as a player and part of the community. I try to talk as much to other people playing the game as well to make sure that the cards actually do justice to the stories that they love. Because I consider myself a magic player and I like the lore, but I'm still very casual when it when you know when I compare it to other people. So I think 
this is a game that we that we all share, right? And there are obviously a lot of different tastes. People like different things. People like different styles of illustration. But what we have all in common is the fact that we have the same story which we're reading. We have the same story which the game adheres to. So there, even though you can illustrate it in in a whole bunch of different ways, there's the same archetypes that you know you have to adhere to. And this is what I like talking to people about the cards, not just my own, but just about any card and any card art, where it has been successful in conveying that story and you know the little details that that get in there which people like and i think that's one of the most fun parts of the job where uh you know i'll be working on a sketch and i realize that i can put like a gimmicky story in there uh and i'm like oh yeah that's actually really fun maybe people will catch it maybe they won't but you know just slip it in there anyway and see see what happens and i had not even considered what you're describing with frontier bivouac it was a land that produces green blue and red mana you had to illustrate the concept of this location can generate all of this mana. So it's not just about getting the flavor in there or showing what the world is. You had to mesh with this very, very vague, nebulous concept of what collectively the game thinks of these and what players look at and expect. Yeah, yeah, that, that is, I mean, that's very difficult. I try to look at how do other lands like this tackle it, and, and I keep looking back at the absolute headache that must have been the crumbling necropolis because... That's an architectural brief, which then has to convey three different colors as well, which is which is even more difficult. So trying to get into that headspace of figuring out, and, and obviously there is again there's overthinking it and going way too far. Luckily, I set myself up with the island that I did, which is basically just a snow plane uh, that I could use that and it'd still be identifiable. Maybe not on its own, but people see it in context, so that made it a little easier for me to sell that idea. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy job sometimes where. We have seven weeks to complete an illustration, four weeks for the sketch, three weeks for the finish. And and most of the times we do use almost that whole time, especially in the sketching phase, just to come up with an idea that works. It's not like, oh, you know, here's a brief and I'm just going to sketch it out and then I'm done. I'm going to send it in. It's like, no, we'll sketch it out once, twice, three times, four times, get frustrated, not working, do it again, show to people. <laughs> It's not working when I flip it. Okay, it's now it's not working when I have it on the card. I can't get these values right. I can't get these colors right. Maybe I should change the time of day, do another sketch, put all of them together, realize that the first one was actually one of the better ones. You go back again. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's this really weird back and forth. And then it's based out of all these layers, right? Normally when you do an illustration or concept, it's like you got to get the perspective right. You got to get the color right. You know, the, well, the values right. And the color and, and you build it from there and here it's like you you built this ridiculous tower that you have to balance because you go like, right, composition right values okay cool and then story all right and then mechanics uh, <laughs> recognizability all these extra layers that you normally wouldn't even have to think of now all of a sudden come into play and if you take out one of those pieces either the whole thing falls apart and if it doesn't it might just be a bad piece so it's a bit difficult trying to... It's, some briefs really set you up to fail. Oof. Especially resourceful return. Funny tidbit that I can share about resourceful return. Ooh, cool. Uh, not every brief for the for every card is sent out or made by Art Direction. So when I had resourceful return, it was we would like a gear hulk hanging upside down inside of a hall where people come and they're repairing it and we want to see it from a low angle. So immediately when you read that, you go like, okay, this is going to be difficult because... A gear hulk is complicated. I had yeah. seen some of the concepts. And the only concept that I had gotten was for 
Victor Adama Minga's cataclysmic gear Hulk, and his is like an insane shape. Right. Yes. It was ridiculous. And he designed that thing for his shot. And now I had to figure out how that thing looks like when we flip it upside down <laughs> and hang it from a ceiling. Like, okay, tricky. Uh, and then we're like, okay, but we also want to see the hammer. All right, so I need a shot looking up with the hammer and the construction and the hall and people working on it. So I sent out a sketch and I said to the art direction, like, this is really difficult. And I'm like, yeah, we know, but we didn't come up with it. This was the lore team. Um, I also don't really oh. know what to do with it. So, you know, good luck. They literally told me, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Oh, no. Oh, God. That's really funny because he gets like the action shot and he can make it just look like the juggernaut and have this big, cool hammer. And now you're like, how do yeah. I fit that into a building? Yep. Like, yeah. How do I put that in a hangar? We want his arm detached. Please figure out what it looks like when his arm is detached, <laughs> which means that you have to know how the arm is attached in the first place. Like, I can't figure out this shoulder piece. I have no clue what I'm doing. That piece gave me so much trouble that I went, I think oh I went goodness. about three and a half weeks over time. So I spent like 10 weeks trying to get that thing looking right. And it's a common, oh. nobody plays. <laughs> or, uh. But hey, great visibility when people are drafting. <laughs> right, right. You'll, you'll get great exposure. <laughs> I'm I'm happy with it. I really really like the illustration, but it's it's the reality that you have to face as a player player artist as well, where people go like, you know, the art on the good cards gets way more exposure than the art on the bad cards. That's just mm. how it is. Yeah. We don't know what kind of card we are getting. We don't know if it's going to be rare or, or whatever. There are different price scales which they can pay us in, which indicates a likelihood of it becoming a good. Okay. But the Daredevil Dragster that I had was a tier one card so we get paid the most for that aside from planeswalkers and other promo stuff but it came out as an uncommon and then lumbering falls was paid out at the lowest tier but it came out at almost at a play t1 card right because it went to the semifinals pro tour and like see, gotcha we we don't know so we try to do our best on every single card but i'd be lying if i'd said that i wasn't a little bummed that this card which i spent like 10 10 and a half weeks on is almost unplayable uh, other artists gave me the cruel nickname of Playable and limited. Oh, oh, oh wow! So that is Titus playable and limited. Lantern was like, no, oh, that that is it's, some. It's, it's very... like, admittedly, that's an incredible that's nickname. Hilarious, but yeah. also <laughs> that's also... very, very, that's very cruel. That's like if if someone comes up with like a really solid pun on your name on the playground and it sticks with you for like four years. Like that's <laughs> mm -hmm. that's the tier. I am so sorry. Like I, 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 you know, I had lumbering falls, you know. That was people, people play that, you know. But yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, it's all all in good good fun, obviously. Well, you also have Dynavolt Tower. So, yeah, like yeah, that's, that's Teamer Tower is coming Teamer Tower is, standard is a right real now. Deck, like. We got Dynavolts now. Yeah, no, but it, for me, for me, it, there's always this um, this mixed feeling where you know you want your card to do well, but even if it doesn't, doesn't really matter because you shipped you shipped an illustration on a game, which is the most surreal feeling because i used to attend events before i was an artist you know and, and then within a couple of years you find yourself on the other side of the table where people want your signature which is very very strange it was very strange that's, that's gotta be so cool it. though i just don't know what people do with it but like, <laughs> i'll put it into their pimped out titus lunter tribal decks I mean, I, I got I, I saw Pierre Dagen at um, GP Barcelona, so I got him to sign the Dynavolt Tower because he was the first one to run it. I was like, yes, that I know what to do with because he made the car famous. Nice, uh, nice. But you know, for me, I don't know. I will say 
while this might they might not be much reassurance, and I, I'm sure that I'm in an odd minority, I love the card Terrarian. I used it in a lot of decks, and it was only printed in Ravnica block. So to see it reprinted with your great art on it in Eldritch Moon actually did make at least me unreasonably happy. <laughs> well, that's, that's great to hear. See, I'll, I'll settle for that. That's that's good enough for me. If if one person is really happy to get you know see one of my cards or stuff, that's that's fine. That we say it a lot, but it legit it really does make our day uh, much better. So, and Terrarian was fun. I was hoping it was a chromatic lantern. Oh, oh yeah, that would have worked. Yeah, five color lands inside of a lantern ish thing. God, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> So close. Playable Unlimited, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I imagine it was pretty good for Delirium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, um, even Trigger's Revolt, so they had that forward thinking. It's yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I remember Terrarian seeing the score, you know, where, where it had, I think, a couple sites they, they give scores, mm -hmm. which I follow uh, for the cards, and it had, like, you know, it's a four. Four out of five and limited because it's really good, but in standards, like, one. It's like, oh, I also personally play a lot of Pauper Commander, so Terrarian, A-plus card there, too. Oh, for sure. It has for its sure. niches. <laughs> yeah, same for Burgeoning. That slot's right in there. I play with it. Oh, yeah, Burgeoning is an EDH staple. Now, when it comes to, to rarity high profile, how exactly is that process decided? Do you have any interaction with when Creative is deciding, all right, this person makes the next Planeswalker. Okay, this person does a promo. Like, you did the cycle of... Tango Land expeditions from mm. Battle for Zendikar. How much of that is handed to you? How much of that is is discussed with you in the conversation? I mean, there's no lobbying, none whatsoever. So you just get assigned what you get assigned, and that's that's it basically. The only thing that that the art directors will listen to is your preference and stuff that you would like to draw. If I were to say, look, I really wanted to draw characters and creatures. They say, fantastic, show us that you are better than the character and creature artist that we Oof. have currently because it's a slot-based system. And the way that it works, it's not as rigid, but the way that it works is they assign you a profile. They assign you what you're what you're good at, what they think you're good at, and they, they know their stuff really, really well. Their art directors are just phenomenal in understanding how artists function, which makes it really nice to work for them because most art directors have no clue about how the people they work with function. So, you know, let's say that I'm labeled as the green and blue guy. They get a whole bunch of briefs in from either the stuff that they made themselves or from the lore team. They put that into categories like green and blue cards. They type that in, they check their availability list and they go like, oh look, here's Titus. We have three green and blue cards. He's available for two. Let's give him two green and blue cards because he, we know he's good at that. And then when I email them saying like, guys, I'm getting only green and blue cards. Can I do something else? They go, all right, show us. And then, you know, there's a bit of back and forth. But on the actual assignment, there is no lobbying. So those Tango Lands, they really, they came in out of the blue. Look, here are these cards. We think you're going to like them. We think they're really cool and they fit you. It's like, oh yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. But I couldn't say any other time, hey, look, you know, those Tango Lands, I did really, really well with those. Could you like give me some fetches <laughs> or, you know... Some mythic lands, anything right. like that? Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work that. It doesn't work that way. The only thing that you can do is just be a very nice person, and then whatever cards you get, your interaction will be nicer. That's all. You don't get better cards, but you just have a nicer interaction with people. Which ultimately, getting good cards or bad cards doesn't matter anymore because you're just working for a fun employer. So I think the focus should never be on trying to get really good cards. I know like some new people trying to get into magic, like magic cards. They're like, oh, I really want to draw a planeswalker or this mythic. Or it's like, it's not about that. 
it's not about that at all. It's about having fun with the illustrations that you do get to do and try to get better at the stuff that they don't let you do and having that conversation. That's the, they try to push you creatively as well, you know? So I think people should look at it slightly, slightly differently in that, in that way. So first off, the one thing that's really annoying to us artists where people say, oh, I wish I was as talented as you. It's like it's, it has nothing to it's do with any work. of that. Just, a lot of work and practice. We sit on our butt yeah, for a long time. But let's say you were in a position where you could draw anything you could, anything you wanted oh. on any sort of card. You can even, you, I mean, you can give yourself planeswalkers, but you can always give yourself like a common artifact. But what would you put on a card that you would really enjoy seeing? Oh, wow. This is a heck of a question. Um, if you need a moment, Jacob, I think I already have an idea in mind. Okay, go for it. I'll, I need to brainstorm. There's a good chance, just seeing this podcast's title, you have some inclination that my favorite card is Walking Atlas. It's uh, The podcast is punning off of that. <laughs> Walking Atlas is two mana for an artifact creature construct. Yes, it's an artifact and a creature. I know the card only says creature, but it was meant to have the type line artifact creature construct. It's a 1-1. One, one. It has tap put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. My hope is that we one day get a new printing of this card. So if, if someone said, hey, give me give me what you would, your ideal magic art, what would you want to see? What would you make if you if you were able to? Yeah, yeah. I'd probably try to give Walking Atlas a new piece of art, potentially on a setting that I'm, that I'm, that I'm especially fond of, like Ravnica. I can imagine that a living embodiment of, a, of information is something that fits very well in on Ravnica with the Azorius. They already have the card Walking Archive, which is more or less the same concept. So I'd probably shoot for a walking atlas in an Azorius law mage, a, a courtroom, perhaps. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that would be pretty fun, though. Like, But I like that concept as well of it's essentially doing almost three things, right? It's and a creature and an artifact, and it has interaction with lands. That's like hitting a trifecta right there that I enjoy a lot. I imagine one of the more difficult concepts to communicate is the is the interacting with lands there. Because the original Walking Atlas art it has it on land. It's it's on Zendikar, so it's out, out in the wild somewhere. But we kind of miss out on that concept outside of the flavor text, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about beautiful paintings now. Like, um, what is the the James Day's Tome? Even though the card is terrible, the, the art is absolutely yes. wonderful. Same for the Expedition map, I think, the original one. It's just beautiful. That could be cool, man. It's fun as well to see that it's like not a planeswalker or anything like that. It's this pretty obscure, relatively obscure card. Jacob and I definitely have our. Uh, there are probably some cards we could talk about that are more that are more popular that we like, but the ones that we really, really irrationally like are definitely they definitely yeah. trend obscure. I, uh, <laughs> I I I think I've come up with a, a couple of of ideas, both oh, of which dear. are probably absolutely terrible and untenable from an art direction standpoint but i'm not gonna let that stop me <laughs> so the first one that i'd like is a reprint of polymorphous jest the one that turns turns all to frogs yeah. but i want like more of an action shot yeah. so the idea that i had was it's return to tark here we're in the dragon's timeline and someone is like pointing up at a dragon storm i don't even think we need to see the caster in this point but there's like this Kind of like Chaos Warp has that portal where it comes in. Uh... Human goes in, rhino thing comes out. Right. So the idea is that you've got this, yeah. this swarm of dragons 
and they're coming through this portal, and there's just like a pile of frogs that is flying out the other side. <laughs> that is just being expelled, like, probably for conservation of mass, you've got like, oh, I don't know, 16 frogs for every dragon that comes in. And so you've just got this explosion of frogs out the other side. I love I love how, how actually all of this is based on well, you know, it's a mass to energy, so obviously how many how many frogs do go <laughs> yes, into a dragon? Right. What's the, what's the frog to dragon ratio? To solve for us. What is the frog to dragon ratio? I think this is a, like a viewer <laughs> question, right? Submit your best it's answer funny, with math. It's funny you mention that because way back when, uh, when I was writing articles for my own little personal magic blog, I did this stupid, yes. su- such a stupid article. Oh, it's so good. Where I tried to, using some very fast and loose magic rules, and some very fast and loose, like, vaguely scientific calculations. Extremely fast and loose scientific calculations. Yes. Calculate, like, the energy <laughs> present in one mana and how, you know, if you had to, casting Emrakul, how much how much energy is that? So this is exactly what we're talking about now. Like, I'm the jewels. Beautiful. Yeah. Actually, yes. I think I did eventually convert it to jewels. Yeah, because she took Emrakul's mass and converted Emrakul theoretically to ground beef in order to figure <laughs> out the energy content. <laughs> like, just if Emrakul was one standard Yo, volume all the way big, through, if it was this one, big and one made up all, all the way beef. through. Yeah, <laughs> giant density beef. Wow, that would be that would be quite something though. But I love I love those quirky <laughs> things. I absolutely love it. I think one of my favorite sort of scientific comics things ever is. The question that was posed to XKCD is what happens if you throw a ball at the speed of light at, uh, you know, in baseball, you know, what, what yeah, happens right. if you, yeah. if you, you know, if you hit it and the whole explanation of that is like, oh, that is beautiful. So I can totally see people doing a dragon to frog, frog to dragon conversion ratio <laughs> to figure out, I mean, you know, what kind of dragons, what kind of frogs are we talking about? Cause right, right. Yeah. What, then- what brood of dragons? Of course, with the magic community and all their conspiracy theories, the ultimate theory would be Nicol Bolas is one of the frogs. Oh, for sure. And uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, you know. But does it work? Like ten <laughs> right. frogs are like the ten Hellcruxes of Bolas. Like <laughs> if you piece them all this together, Justin Nicol Bolas is Voldemort, but with more Horcruxes. <laughs> we have to go deeper. <laughs> Oh, and then I, the other one that I did come up with, this is this is probably a little bit more doable, but probably not nearly as, like, marketable, which is a weird thing to say about Frogs to Dragons. I, I was thinking of, like, Planeswalker arts and what would be really weird. And I was thinking most of the Planeswalkers that we have are still relatively human proportioned. Like, mm-hmm. the the one that we, that maybe skirts the line is Doretti being a goblin. But even the newest art that we have of him, he's still like a, like a person-sized goblin or framed as such. And then he's got the, the walker mech that sort of obscures that. I'd really like, like, just a regular-sized goblin, short, stumpy little guy that has the planeswalker spark and is in that, that tall frame sort of thing. So you have to, like, I don't know, put him up on a stool or something, you know, have him crouching <laughs> from a him. rock. Like, trying to... This card comes with a magnifying glass. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, because it's this this big, impactful character that's supposed to mean something in the story, and then he's, like, three feet tall. And he can't help it with all the mana in the world. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I mean, these are stellar ideas. For me, I know exactly what I do because it was it was actually a um, typo that came back to haunt me and has been haunting me in a good way, I guess, for about a year and a half Ooh, now in the, okay. in the artist thing where people were talking about their cool Planeswalker art and I misspoke and I said Placewalker, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is... <laughs> 
you know, so most, they who it's walk just, between I, I would, places. Yeah, I would do. I would love to make a place walker card of just, you know, a person just <laughs> trying to get from A to B. Yeah, like, just, like, that very... I'm just here to get my coffee, man, and go to work. Like... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you. I think you confuse me with someone important because this card frame does not look right <laughs> to me. Um, I don't think I have three abilities. I, I know exactly like... who it should be. It's Fibblethip. F- what? Fibblethip oh. from Totally Lost. The the little homunculus oh guy who's like walking around and like looking up, like, oh, geez, I have no idea where I am. He's you just walking a, somewhere. You, you yep. make a Fibblethip planeswalker, and he's like, oh, oh, well, this is the entirely wrong card. <laughs> yeah. i don't know how i ended up here but um yeah but we came up with all sorts of alternatives as well you know jorce the place walker uh, you know he's like he's not blue affiliated but he's holding water so i guess he's, blue, so he's like i i get i'm i'm fetching water like someone just jorce was walking around getting water for his village and someone pointed the camera at him like oh my god here's jorce and like wait, what? looks back What's and forth on? like what, yeah. what, where did that come from? I, Who are you? What? A, you get like a Johnny mentor of interns. and <laughs> Like, I really don't have time for this, guys. I, I can't. I can't. I got. I have, my, I have a job. My, my do, boss right? is going to kill me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, please. Could you remove me off this card frame? Because th- this is not. And then accidentally ends up on packs and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> How oh, am no, I in the key I'm... art? Why am I here? Oh goodness! I'm just a place. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is that is phenomenal. I love that so much. Placewalker as a card type is now something that I'm going to be pushing. If I ever go to a convention, I'm going to ask. So when are we getting placewalker cards? And, when the uh, third yeah, unset I, happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to push that again. When, you know, when I'm there, like, look. I don't know if you guys are making another unset, but I desperately want to do a place walker. Please, let me do a place walker. I, I fully support this concept. I can even draw it poorly, guys. That just adds to the effect, right? I'm now imagining if you were ever briefed to just say, all right, we have this character that we need for the set. They have a name. They have a role in the story. We need you to make them look as unassuming as physically possible. We need to make this like a guy that you see on the street, and you would not be able to pick them out of a lineup. Like the human equivalent of white bread. <laughs> yes. We need we need a cardboard person is what we need. We need a, a be bland, plain oatmeal human being. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the fun thing is we, we shoot ref for most of the cards that we do. We, we go out and we shoot some sort of reference, right, to, to help us out. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I can imagine us going there somewhere into, like, an innocuous place. And then to just taking a picture of a person and like, wait, what did you do? Oh, nothing. I just took a picture to immortalize you in a card game that millions of people play. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, oh, oh. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Let's see what happens. Oh, wow. Someone somewhere is about to get awkwardly famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so someone just opens up a pack and their rare is, is Madcap Experiment. And they're like, wait a minute. That looks exactly like me on that one windy day five years ago. <laughs> This is so bizarre. Is this me, guys? Like showing the card to his friends? Am I going nuts? Does this look like me? And then someone goes, "No, that's that's enthralling, Victor. You're not nearly that." Rare. <laughs>
and, and us artists will be like sitting there like watching the conspiracies and like excellent. <laughs> yes excellent. they found it <laughs> they, they found it no honestly you guys find more stuff that we didn't intend than the stuff that we did intend <laughs> <laughs> i also believe that yeah yeah you know what i lo- what i didn't get about amonkhet i just did not understand where all the people were freaking out like how big are these gods how big are they i don't know how big they are <laughs> this crocodile god ah oh, man there, how, how there, big there is are it? scale like, people and scale birds like, look i i made an image on the cover where where you can see her walking like is everybody like, not yeah like, no but the image is clipped which was released like well yeah but that's a different art <laughs> yes oh and god. there's still a one. building right next to her yeah the guy i don't under wait what how are you not getting this it's right there (laughs) oh my goodness well people will try and find more reasons for all sorts of just they can't accept the simplest solutions like this could Mm. this could be so easy for you guys you don't need to have this panic attack but yeah just because of how this is framed i guess i guess this is what we're doing today yeah occam's razor guys right occam's razor are there like Seventy thousand different bolus horns that are carefully, you know, placed along the whole universe so we can see from every angle, or is it just one that they decided to stick and just, you know, ignore physics and, you know, <laughs> maybe there are like location. five. Could you settle for five? We've shown you five. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's hilarious, but most of the time we're like, guys, look, we we don't have an infinite amount of time to figure out these mental booby traps for you guys. As much as we'd love to do that, we I mean, we'd love to do that, but there's just not that much intricacy which we can fit in here. And I feel really bad because then they made a mystery themed set with Shadows Over Innistrad block, and yeah. we were immediately like, oh, it's Emmercool. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> and you're yep. like, oh, come on. How is this a mystery? Yeah, we made a yeah. whole mystery block, and you just picked it up in like one second, and then we yep. do a regular straightforward block, and suddenly everything's a mystery. Yep, yep, yep. There, there, uh, there have been in the past <clears throat> some of these these moments where people, you know, make an offhand comment on Reddit, like, "Oh, it's going to be this," and we're, we're like sweating bullets. Holy crap! They got oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> They're onto us. Oh no! Someone's going to get charged for leaks, and we're the first people to know. Oh no! <laughs> But it's just, yeah, no, people just get extremely lucky sometimes. Yeah. It's one of those, the more crappy throw against the wall, the, the more it sticks. And yeah. Yeah. with as big as magic is and as wide as its communities are online, sometimes one random Joe Schmo somewhere gets it right. But we won't know yep. about it until after the fact. And we can look back and go, oh, wow, that comment was, like, spot on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult as well because people, they say, oh, man, this is exactly like this one card, this one time, and this one set. You, you understand that there's, like, what, 40,000 cards right now? <laughs> it is impossible to avoid any accidental reference, right? It, it's, right? It's a miracle that it doesn't happen every single illustration. Yeah. Uh, but it just, it happens. I'm waiting for someone to make a deep pull, like, some some little innocuous piece of architecture somehow reminds them of, like, a Homelands art. And they're oh, like, we're no. going back. <laughs> you know what? I, I will say, because I don't know when this podcast is going to be released, but it might be around the time where the Amonkhet spoilers come rolling in, because we're soon. Yeah. So I feel like I can say this. Like, behind the scenes for the for the thing, when we were designing Amonkhet, uh, every plane sort of has its uh, geometrical shape, right, where we start off with. Right. And when we were looking at Amonkhet and pyramids and all this kind of uh, stuff, we actually found that pyramids are not the most common shape in Egypt. It's a sort of 
trapezoid kind of shape that comes more close. Right. And then the first sketches that you know I did of those buildings, the art direction came walking in and said, look, this is Abzan. Oh, we, no. We used this shape in cons, and we didn't know. Ooh. So, but it is exactly the shape that they wanted to have. Oh, like, no. Oh, great. So now we... What? Mm. No, the shape is is spent how do we how do we get it back how do we reclaim without everybody saying like oh look it's egyptian abzan i guess yeah oh Oh, wow that's got to be really tough because suddenly a key shape for your illustrations is locked down or you have to make it weirder when it's it's the basis for the egyptian architecture exactly this was just the historical basis and we couldn't use it because it was already spent and this is what happens when you have a game that is designing stuff for for the last 20 years or so right you know it's you can't uh, avoid intersection very difficult to 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 find that to find that balance so hopefully hopefully people will find some sort of new appreciation for sort of the the weird shapes we have to fold ourselves into and trying to get something new that's both culturally appropriate fun to look at recognizable and not something that we've already done before as if there weren't enough plates already spinning for making magic art. Right. You've now gi- you've now given us like two giant grocery lists of things that you have to consider when making every single piece of magic art. <laughs> oh my goodness. But it's 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 amazing. It's one of the most fun parts. I, I had I had an absolute blast. I have the fortune of going back there in a few days to do another in-house push for them. And I just finished one, finished another push for them. Because being there in house for the Amonkhet one was by far the most challenging and most fun time I've ever had designing stuff in my life because there's so much knowledge floating around in there and, and, and those restrictions really help push you to the maximum. Obviously, you're, you're sitting there with ridiculously skilled um, skilled people, but it's it sort of becomes fun, you know, trying to hit that tight because the marks they have to hit are, are, are so tiny. But the feeling that you're not doing it alone helps because you have lore, you have narrative uh, you have the other design team. Everybody's working on it, trying to figure this this thing out, and it feels like a really cohesive team, right? Everybody's working together, trying to get to this one goal, and you can you can just insert your two cents of knowledge into that giant machine and just see what pops out. Like you, uh, like I feel like I get way more value out of it than I put into it. That's that's for sure. That's got to be satisfying. Yeah, for, you know, you you drop your tiny idea into that pond, and all of a sudden this gold nugget comes out that's worth way more than what you put in but it's like because everybody's doing that that's what you get it's gonna be fun i wonder how people are going to react to amaket i hope i hope they'll like it for sure i'm i'm excited like on my part it, it seems really cool and i appreciate that we're getting a new place but there's an overarching story with nickel bolas coming in that ties it to the the grander scheme of the multiverse but we're also mm. we're ex- so it's got a something for everybody in a way that other magic sets try to do and sometimes succeed at but like there's the people who want to go there for the exploratory stuff, and there's the people who want to know what what's happening. With what the is rest happening of the... with Nicol Bolas? Right. Like mm, we've yeah, been waiting. Been we've been to? waiting to see where he's doing and where he's going and why he's doing these things for quite a while. But also, I I also really want to meet Amonkhet. You know? Yeah. It, it looks like a cool world. It's it's taken from a lot of really interesting starting points for a place for people to work in, and then add on top of that the fact that Nicol Bolas is this god emperor of a plane how does that change society how does that change what the people are like yeah absolutely that that sort of reference and resource that we had to do to, to hit that balance was was a lot of fun you know because it's not it's it's not fun if you have a set that is like hugely oppressive and makes people just sad right yeah yeah, yeah no one wants that um so you know like, how do we make this 
fun, also for the people who are there, how to make it fun. When you think of magic as a game where fighters fight other fighters, that's pretty straightforward. But then it's like, okay, now you have to build a society where you have bakers and probably <laughs> money. So you might have bankers. Do they have, you know, or is there such a thing as an Amonkhet mortgage? <laughs> uh, you know, like, I'm defaulting on my trapezoidal know. building. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> No, I love For that. Foreclosure signs. I don't know, but you know, society is big. Right. And it's not like Ravnica where you kind of have to fill all those roles and you f- you find all of those spaces because you have the 10 different guilds to to give a role mm-hmm. to. You say, okay, well, maybe there are circuses. We'll give that to the Rakdos. Maybe there are banks or churches. We'll give that to Orzov. Maybe someone needs yep. to make the food, so we'll give that to Golgari. But with Amonkhet, you don't have those, those slots to fill in those particular roles. So you, I, um. I assume that you have to, like, I mean, it, it's really from scratch. Yeah, and, and you wonder, like, oh, is this some sort of Star Trek-type civilization where they've abolished all kind of war, money, and, and that kind of thing? Right. Or is there still conflict? How much conflict is internal? How much is external? Right. You know, all that stuff is really fun to figure out because it cascades very far. And what, you know, this is where I sort of separate from the other groups of people where they will deal with their characters and I will deal with the environments because at the end of the day, my responsibility is environmental storytelling, right? Mm, That's yeah. why I'm there. So I have to figure out, is there such a thing as an Amonkhet bank? What does it look like? And do we even need it? Or do we not need it? And if we don't need it, what is the difference in saying, well, why do you even need a house? If you don't have a bank, why should you have a house? And then why would you have any building at all? So <laughs> wow. the, the, the weird thing is that you have to put this really weird line in. This is how far the society has gotten. So this means we have X buildings, but not Y buildings. And how do you sell that? Because the danger is that every building is a temple. Okay, that would be weird. Right, uh, right, right. You can't have every building a temple. You you need, what do they eat? Grain? Okay, cool. So you have a grain storage or you have a wheat storage. And that also means that you need some sort of mill or anything to grind it. All right, so you have grindstones. And while you cannot show all of that and 99% of that will never, ever make it onto a card because this is a game of monsters fighting monsters. Right. right? The lands do not matter in that direct sense. You need to have it. You need to have it in order to make sense of this whole thing. And it's a subconscious thing that happens. Like the, the feedback that a lot of people gave about Kaladesh was that this doesn't feel like a plane. It feels like a city. Mm. And from the environmental storytelling point of view, it's very easy to see why that is, why exactly that is happening. And it's great for us to take lessons from that. And it's something that we we were thinking about when we were doing Amonkhet as well. Like, how do we make this feel, A, this is a plane, B, that these people living here have a function other than being there for the glory of Bolas or whatever. You right, know, they, right. They need to have their own lives. And of course, there's a running theme that runs through that, which gives their lives purpose and meaning, like every single other plane and creature in Magic the Gathering has. But then there's also this weird realm outside of that, right? Because in, in some Magic art, you see a poor you know poor guy getting stabbed in an alley. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> the guy doing the stabbing, that's obviously the rogue. That's the person on the card. Yeah. Who's the poor guy getting stabbed? Yeah. What was he doing? Was he a baker? Was he was he like emptying the trash out back? <laughs> right, because he wasn't just exactly. standing around in an alley waiting to get stabbed. He had to have no. been there for a reason. And then you get into the really weird mechanics. If that person stabbing was like a 1-1 one, one creature, then what did he stab? Like a 0-1? Right. <laughs> or like a 0-0? Zero, zero? That would be weird. Yeah, yeah. In the game universe, State based really have that. That, thing, that person would crumble under their own weight. <laughs> exactly. So... There's definitely there's definitely going way too far in all of that. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 walking that line which makes which makes it 
so much fun, you know, and every time we, you know, I do the concepts for them, it's, it's trying to push that limit where, you know, where the art director of the lore team go like, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, we, I don't know. We've never thought about this because it, it does not matter. I'm like, well, there's to me. <laughs> right. The way, yeah. the way I connect with yeah. that, I, Jacob and I are both frequent actors and performers. When we're playing a character, we're doing a similar thing. You know, uh, my I'm playing Freddy. Everyone who's watching has no idea where he's from. They're not going to care, you know, what his family life was like, wh what his upbringing was like. They or don't that care his, like, about parents his relationship to young, his dad. Or... Exactly. But these are all things that, I, that I'm thinking about to inform the character so that I can give this to the audience. In the same way, you're thinking about all this so it can inform the art. They will not see it directly, but it will directly affect them. Yeah, yeah. This is where I, where I, one of the, the pieces of work that we ended up on for Amoncat, which I was most proud of, is that hopefully when we can talk more about it when it's out, there is so much symbolism that is happening in there for very, very specific reasons that people can, for me coming from a concept background and teaching this stuff, the first thing that I teach people is in concept art, when someone asks you why something is, you can never ever say i don't know everything has to have a reason it right. absolutely even if it's a very dumb reason there has to be one it absolutely has to be one so hopefully with everything that's happening in amoncad we're like oh you know why is it onyx inlaid that has a reason why are these symbols gold that has a reason why are these symbols the way that they are or space the way that they are all of it has a very very specific function and I know that I'm going completely overboard with all of this. Also, when I see other pieces of art, I'm like, oh, you know, you could you know, touch the symbols a little bit. You know, it would be better. <laughs> right. But <clears throat> people don't know when they see, see the card that. But hopefully, if someone would ask me, you know, those weird niche questions, like, in, you know, in my fantasy where people are like, oh, you know, what's this little piece of the architecture doing? Like, aha, I know this. <laughs> I can tell you. I can tell you all about this. I mean, that'll never happen because it's not supposed to happen because the focus should be somewhere else. But for me, it feels good that I can say that, yeah, you know, I, I think we did, for, especially for three weeks, from my end, obviously, the, the, the team there took it way further and they elevated it to a next level of awesome. But I can say, you know, yeah, th I'm happy with these ideas that we put down. See, now I, I'm going to give that to you as, as like the, you know, this, this is your monkey's paw wish. Uh, <laughs> I, now I, you're going to get like emails from me immediately after Almanket is out. It's like, what's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? Why did this happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to leave you alone until you are sick of this. Now, taking it one step further, what we could absolutely do if there is, if there's interest is post Almanket, post Hour of Devastation, all reconvene and you could just have a forum to talk about all the stuff you've really wanted to talk about oh, right. with, with the detailed <laughs> like, art. Once you're allowed to, we will absolutely be happy to have you back and so that you can you can gush about all of the, the little bits. Oh, that'd be that'd be so that'd be so good. That'd be really <laughs> that'd be really good. Because I don't know if you guys know how it happens during a concept push, but the the whole experience is absolutely grueling because it's three weeks. You're there from like eight in the morning, nine in the morning until six or seven in the evening, and you work as much as you can for three weeks. Wow. Then every other day you print out all of your work. It goes up on a gigantic wall, and then there's an art direction review, and it has all the senior art director staff, it has the senior writing staff, you know, the senior lore people, all of the senior people are there. And right. you bunch of artists, this is like the five of you, you just sit down and you look at this giant wall as those extremely talented, uh, experienced people are looking at what you've done, and then they just start ripping stuff off. Like, nope, don't like that. Nope, don't like that. <laughs> oh. Circle this. Yeah, this is okay. Don't like that. Nope, don't like that. All right, this is okay. Yeah. 
and then you'll end up with this decimated grim looking wall <laughs> oh, where some ideas will survive you know and it's the worst when they look at something and they're like can you explain why you did this <laughs> like, uh, like what were you, you thinking <laughs> wait is this a good question or like a bad question <laughs> but yeah and then you rinse repeat that that process for three weeks and then there's just a wall filled with cool stuff and then that goes to the second team so there's the each set sort of as two waves the first is the blue sky wave what we call that so blue sky is just anything goes you know just do it still within that rigorous process and then when all the things are set up the second group of people comes in and they have the task in three weeks to polish all of those ideas into something sensible but yeah it's it's a it's a pretty fun experience because some ideas that are really cool but too complex to convey on a card mm -hmm. they will get scrapped i had amazing ideas for amaket and then the senior art direction they had to remind me like dude this is this is a cool idea but you have a card right it's a tiny card we can never sell this in any sort of way so you have to i had to completely rethink like oh oh yeah i have to approach this like way differently do you, do you ever yeah. get fed up and go like well fine i'll just take this one to the D, &D team and we'll see if they <laughs> like it <laughs> i'll just go there <laughs> where people appreciate me by briefs for Dean, I did a few things for fifth edition D and D, and they were they were really hilarious. Where they got me a brief that said "desert suitable for D and D," so I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." <laughs> Wait, I'll just, I'll just paint just I'll desert. Just paint a desert. Yeah, so I'll just uh, that was the brief. Desert suitable for D and D. All right, cool. So I just painted a <laughs> desert, and then I got like a, a full page back. Like, no, 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 no. like. No, like like this. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, wow, you you guys really know your world. Uh, <laughs> why why wasn't this just in the first brief? Like, <laughs> yeah, we could have saved a lot of time and effort here. It you know it doesn't matter, but the yeah the D and D team. Wow, that's that's another story. They they know their world mm. ridiculously well. Like, jeez. Yeah, it's fun to work for them though because of that. It's hard to find a more passionate group of people. Uh, than those working in the wizard's building. It's, uh, yeah, they love their stuff for sure. And we love their stuff, so there. <laughs> <laughs> and Titus, we have to thank you so much for coming in to talk with us about the stuff that you love to make and we love to enjoy. If someone wanted to get in contact with you for any reason to ask a question or just to say, hey, I like your art, where would they be able to find you? Uh, they wouldn't, never. <laughs> Please nobody talk to me, ever. <laughs> about anything all right I'm not, I'm not part of this community right this is uh, this is just because i said that i'm gonna send you four hundred thousand messages so you gotta yeah. you gotta stem everybody else's i never even heard of email I don't know. I'm old. twitter I don't know what what's that is. yeah fun fact i'm so old that i remember growing up without internet how about that wow i believe but, that uh, wow but twitter yes wow burn <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, because i am as old as commercialized internet so like oh there you i go. can I, I'm fairly sure if you're at least like five years older than me, which I'm fairly sure you are, then that would make sense. <laughs> just keep digging, Bryce. <laughs> just keep this going in further. <laughs> um, no, but I have since then well versed myself in the internet, being there, witnessing the dawn of it. Uh, but uh, Twitter, Twitter is a good way. I, I always respond to Twitter uh, and my email as well, which I think is it's, it's on my website. It's just my name. Everything's just my name. Okay. I go too too lazy to do anything creative. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you very much. We're more than happy to, and we'll be we'll be sure to drop you a line if you're interested. When once we've gotten past some of this lovely Egyptian themed plane. Yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll be happy to 
to answer any questions uh, and, and sound like I really know what I'm talking about. Because that's the main thing, right? Just Yeah, as, as long as you sound like you know what you're talking about, you're fine. That's what Jacob and I do all the time. You can too. We get each other. We totally get each other. But no, th thank you very much for having me. This, is, this has been a blast. It's sure. our pleasure. Now, Jacob, if someone wanted to find you and ask how maybe that hammer should be disconnected from that gear hulk, where could they go? <laughs> they could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. -E that's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and I'm not even going to pretend that I'm an artist, so don't ask me tough questions like that if a professional artist has a tough question. Frogger, is this is this because of the dragons to frogs now? <laughs> I, is there a link I'm here? kind of a fan, yeah. <laughs> he has a bit of a frog thing, yes. <laughs> the Gitrog monster was fantastic for me. And Bryce, if someone needed to find you to... Oh, what was the card that you made? The, the Walking Atlas one? Wow. Well, that's no it good. It was Walking Atlas. That's right. <laughs> that's confusing. If somebody wanted to know more about Walking Atlas or Walking Atlas... And Bryce, if someone wanted to share their conspiracy theories about Amonkhet with you, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Tumblr as Walking Atlas... They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at the.atlas.walks at gmail.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on our website, opalnebula.com, or on iTunes and Google Play. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingatlas. Before we let you go, if you, like me, listened to Titus Lunter here and said, gee, that Titus sounds like a nice fellow, then you should totally go to kickstarter.com and search up the Titus Lunter Amonkhet Art Extravaganza, a Kickstarter featuring all kinds of awesome Titus Lunter art, including playmats, artist proofs, and prints. And no, I cannot possibly say Titus Lunter more times in this statement. Again, that is the Titus Lunter Amonkhet Art Extravaganza. Thank you again to Titus for being here today, and until next time, happy place walking, everyone. Mm -hmm.